0: Right, so a week ago I was standing up here with my arm in a sling, (laughs) since then I went to the doctors, um, and then decided to spend three days with the teens running around all of its campus, so that probably was not in the doctor's uh, prescribed order, but um, no sling this week, so we got a little bit of motion as long as I don't do anything stupid, Um, but uh, appreciate, (laughs) right, I mean, there was an incident with some ice cream and whatever. Uh, don't reach don 't reach for the high shelves is the lesson there um, but I appreciate the prayers and all the concern uh, we 're on the mend I think um, We pastors, so those of us who get up and preach the Bible, can sometimes get really focused in on the details like to the point like have you ever heard a sermon where like the preacher, guy or gal? like pulls up a word and says, do you know what this word means in Greek? Or do you know what this means in Hebrew? And really drilled one word, just one word out of the entire Bible. We spend time looking at what that one word, how did we use it other places? And and what does it mean in those other places? And what does it mean? And can you break that word apart? We can focus, spend an entire time focused on one word and there's a tremendous amount of meaning in that one word. Um, But at the same time, the Bible is Full of words right so if you're focused in at that level of detail you're not paying attention to the rest of the words does anybody know how many words are in the bible too many, too many. that doesn't sound good <laughs> god we like what you're saying but could you cut it down a little bit right <laughs> any 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 guesses just rant. there's no pride 10 percent off your next sermon uh if you get this right um any guesses how many words are in the bible What was that? That's too many. (laughs) He said 8,902, I think. That's that's over. Any other shots? Enough. Enough. (laughs) Right. Depending on the translation, it can vary a little bit, but there's over 700,000 less than 800,000 generally. So quite a few words, but sometimes we focus in on that, that one word, and sometimes we need to kind of broaden our, our scope. If you've gotten to know me at all, and even my, the way that I preach or the way that I see the role of the church, like sometimes I can get caught up in those details, but I really like to try and zoom out. I really like to try and get the big picture, um, the big story of what's going on. So sometimes I'll, I'll kind of drill in on that one little detail. Um, I often do that in my preparation and study. I don't usually bring it into the sermon. Um, But today's one of those things where we need to kind of zoom out, a little 10,000 foot view to get started. Otherwise, the the scripture, um, it'll have meaning, but it it won't have quite the same meaning as if we just jump right to the scripture. Um, So to start today, we need to understand that the history of Israel and the identity of Israel as a people is connected to their distinctive practices, right? So you've probably heard this. Labeled under the topic of law, the Torah, right they have these distinctive practices and and sometimes we kind of lean to the idea that oh, if they don't keep these practices, they don't keep these that's sin and not some of these laws will be considered sin if you break them, but some of them just make you unclean. there's a difference between unclean and being a sinner um, in the Old Testament, but there's these distinctive practices that that the Jewish people. Believed, set them apart. They believed they came from God. These practices were taught to them, given to them by God, and that's what separated them out from the culture they were in. Right? You're not Egyptian. You're not Canaanite. You're not, um, you know, any of these other places. You're not from Babylon. You're not from Assyria. These practices are what give you identity, right? And part of the reason why the Jewish people were able to keep their culture and return from a period of exile where they were conquered and removed from their homeland. Part of the reason why they didn't lose their cultural uh, history, part of the reason why we can even today still look at Jews that have a, a line of connection and understanding going all the way back thousands of years is because in exile, they continued to follow these distinctive practices to the best of their ability. I mean, part of the reason why they went into exile was because they weren't practicing these practices as well. I mean, that's kind of the the prophets will tell you. You haven't done the things God asked you to do. It's because you've been sinful, rebellious, unclean. Punishment is exile. But they maintained their identity during that exile because they followed these practices that made them distinct. And we see those stories, you know, with Daniel... Right? He refused to do the things that the king told him to do and changed them. right? We know these stories, if you've been around the church, that their identity was wrapped up in these practices, right? Israel's uniqueness was critical to their existence as God's chosen people, right? So it wasn't the law, the Torah, the, the clean or unclean, it wasn't a matter of being, well, am I a good person or not? Am I good enough, um, it really wasn't even in the context of, am I going to go to heaven when I die? They didn't really even talk about that in the Old Testament. Um, it was a matter of, am I participating as the chosen people of God? Am I distinct, which, not going to go into it, but the word holy literally means set apart, distinct, uh, defined for a specific purpose of God, and so they're way that they were holy as a people, the way they were set apart as a people was through these practices that God gave them how to live. So with that as the backdrop, again, we're gonna go into this story understanding that that everything, identity, their faithfulness to God is all tied up in their willingness, their faithfulness to these practices, right? That's the context, right? Everything for Israel is wrapped up in keeping the Torah. And with that context, that 10,000-foot view, now we can finally turn to Acts chapter 11. Um, We're going to look at 18 verses. It's a pretty sizable chunk of scripture, but I want us to catch the whole story this morning. Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. It'll be on the screens, um, or feel free to use your Bibles or devices if you have the app or whatever. Um, Let's read together. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? Then Peter began to explain it to them step by step, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. There was something like a large sheet coming down from heaven, being lowered by its four corners, and it came close to me. As I looked at it closely, I saw four-footed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I replied, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a second time, the voice answered from heaven, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, then everything was pulled up again to heaven. And at that very moment, three men sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to go with them and not to make a distinction between them and us. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered this man's house. He told us we had seen how he had seen the angel standing in the house saying, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. He will give you a message by which you and your entire household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as it had upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? When they heard this, they were silenced. And they praised God, saying, Then God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Um, There was a moment in... Peter's life, where he was following Jesus, and Jesus was giving some hard teachings, and some of the crowd left after hearing the hard teachings about what it means to be a disciple, and Jesus turned to Peter and said, Would you would you like to go too? And Peter said, Where are we gonna go? You have the words of life. And so we are thankful today for these very words of life. That you've made them available to us, you've revealed them to us, and you Uh, sustain them and provide them to us. Not only words on a page, but words made flesh in Jesus and words made alive through the Holy Spirit here and now. Uh, May they quicken our hearts and our minds and draw us closer to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So this may sound a little weird, uh, but this is the truth. The gospel was originally a Jewish movement. The gospel was originally a Jewish movement. The roots and the source of the gospel was a Jewish movement. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. He wasn't starting a new religion. He was teaching and living out what Israel had been called to do what they were supposed to do all along, right? He, he didn't come and say, well, everything else is wrong and now I'm here to teach you the right things. He said, everything that God has called you to do that you have been unable to do, that you have been unfaithful to do, everything you needed a king to teach you how to do, everything you needed prophets to, to invite you how to do or call you to do, all those things that we have supposed to be doing all along, Jesus says, that is me. So he wasn't erasing the Old Testament, he was fulfilling it. He was the Messiah. He was Israel as it was supposed to be. So don't think that Jesus showed up and started teaching that Jews were bad. Yes, he was critical, but he was critical of the corruption and the idolatry in the religious systems, the corruption of the temple and the religious leaders. But he would be just as critical of corruption and idolatry in the church and in Christianity t- you know, today if he arrived in 21st century America he would be just as critical of of that in our day and age so he wasn't saying Jews bad Christians good he was saying corruption and idolatry bad faithfulness to God good right when Jesus ascended into heaven and his followers were left to continue his ministry they started in Jerusalem right that's where they were that's kind of where the Easter story kind of culminates everything kind of goes to Jerusalem and that's where the disciples are. And when he uh, ascends to the Father, right, he uh, leaves his disciples there, and they're in Jerusalem. Now, if you have a really good remember, memory, last summer I preached through some passages from the book of Acts, and I said that the book of Acts was the story of how this message, the story of a crucified Jew from a village of about 200 people how his story ended up in Rome right in front of the emperor, right underneath the nose of the empire, right? The most powerful empire, the most powerful man in the world, and how does this story from this village out in the middle of nowhere, Israel, get there? That's the story of Acts. You know, it starts with a commissioning, Jesus telling them to go. Take the gospel to all nations. Right? all peoples, as you go, share the gospel. But the first 10 chapters of Acts, so we get this this amazing message, right? The resurrection, Jesus speaks to his disciples, the resurrected Jesus tells them, you will go and you'll take this message to all the people of the world, but then the first 10 chapters of Acts, they don't go outside of Jerusalem. (laughs) They don't go anywhere. 10 chapters into the book of Acts, and they've not even ventured out of the city that they started in. Not a great start to this worldwide endeavor, if you think of it in that context. But when they finally left Jerusalem and they started taking the gospel even out of Israel into uh, Greek lands, Roman lands, when they started going on these earliest missionary journeys, it was their practice when they got to that new city, they would go to the synagogues first. Right, The synagogues where the Jewish people gathered and worshipped. Jews were scattered all around the world at this point and the followers of Jesus would go take the message of Jesus to the synagogues and say, hey, we know you've not been in Jerusalem. You've been waiting for the Messiah, but here's the news. The Messiah has come. His name's Jesus. Let us tell you about him. They go to the synagogues with that message first. Because again, there was no Facebook. There was no cable news. There was no Twitter. The internet wasn't around quite yet. And so this is how the message of the Messiah was supposed to get into the synagogues, into these Jewish communities around the world. It was supposed to be a message of God has sent the king and said go to the synagogues first. Your long-awaited Messiah is here. Now some would believe. Some would hear this message and respond. But others wouldn't. Sometimes the disciples would even get chased out of the synagogues. They would be told they're crazy. They would be viewed as a threat to the status quo. They would be deemed heretics, whatever, and they would get chased out of the synagogues. And so when that would happen, they're already in the city, not allowed to preach in the synagogues. They would just start preaching the gospel in the streets, town squares, public places. Or sometimes they would get arrested, and they'd be thrown in jail, and they'd start preaching the gospel there, sharing the story of Jesus with the guy that was in prison next to them. Or the jailer that put him there. And that's what leads to the problem that is part of our story today, the scripture text that we just read in Acts 11. There's a problem in this text. Um, Non-Jewish people, which the Bible calls Gentiles, were hearing the message of Jesus. This isn't the problem. And they were believing it. Again, on its face value, this sounds like a really great thing but it created some issues in the early church. Because these Gentiles were getting baptized and confessing Christ. They might have gotten chased out of the the Jewish community, might have said, yeah, we don't believe you, we're not following, the the Jesus story just doesn't match up. But Gentiles, non-Jewish people said, wait, what's that Jesus story about? That That sounds right, there's truth in that. And they gave their life to Jesus. And so the greatest crisis in the earliest church was the question of do Gentiles have to become Jewish to become Christians? Do you have to be Jewish to follow Jesus? This was the controversy that nearly divided the church right out of the gate. It almost brought the thing to a stop right as it was getting started. The problem in verse 1 in our scripture wasn't that the Gentiles were getting baptized Right, if we go back to verse one, just real quick, it says the apostles and the believers who were in Judah heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God, right? So the problem isn't that there was people getting baptized. The problem I've moved my notes, not gonna get back. The problem was that these Gentiles didn't keep Torah. They weren't clean. It was that the Peter in, this, in our scripture today, the problem wasn't that people had gotten baptized. The problem was that Peter wasn't keeping the laws of the table fellowship. He was eating with the wrong people. These distinctive practices, again, going back to the Old Testament, the thing that made Israel Israel, the thing that made it set apart, the thing that gave it its identity, the way that Israel was faithful to God, the way that Israel avoided judgment and punishment was by keeping these, these laws. And in this Acts chapter 11 scripture that we just looked at, Peter wasn't keeping those table laws. He was sharing meals with other believers, which from a Christian perspective makes tons of sense. We talk about that every time we take communion. This is a shared meal. But those other believers Peter was eating with weren't Jewish. They didn't keep Jewish laws. And by Jewish law, they were unclean so Peter was violating the Torah when he was having meals with Christians who weren't Jewish some people believed you had to become Jewish to become a Christian because how in the world can you follow the Jewish Messiah and be unclean while you do it how in the world can you follow the king of Israel and not be a part of Israel and, and, and that was one perspective, and that was a, a big camp in the early church. There was a lot of people that thought you had to be Jewish to follow Jesus. Others believed that what happens to a person when you put your faith in Jesus, when you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, is what makes you clean. Right? There was these there was somewhat progressive Christians at the time, uh, progressive Jewish folks, that said, wait, we know these are the rules, but in reality, what makes somebody clean is their relationship with Jesus. And somehow, despite growing up in the church, going to Sunday school since the time I was itty bitty, children's church, you know, teen group, adult Sunday school class, all that stuff, it wasn't until I was in college, and really until I was working on my master's degree, that I really understood how big of a crisis this was in the early church. This single issue of do you have to be Jewish to be a Christian is such a huge deal Um, And because it's such a big deal, it's actually talked about a lot in the New Testament scriptures. I just didn't see it because I didn't know it was a problem that I should look for. Because I was unaware of this historical context, I missed the important meaning behind the scriptures that dealt with this controversy. But once you're aware of it, hopefully you'll start to see it and understand. It's one of those things that, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once Once you hear it, you can't unhear it. You know what I mean? And so, for example, in the book of Acts, this book that we're working our way through, more time is spent, more ink on paper is spent talking about Peter's eating with Gentiles than any other topic. I I read that, and I had to double-check that and confirm that in one of the commentaries that I was, I was studying. I didn't believe it, but it... it, it it pans out, more ink, more words are dedicated to the topic of Peter's eating with Gentiles than any other topic in the book of Acts. This is a big deal to the early church. Or did you know that the backdrop for the entire book of Romans is this exact debate? Right? The, the letter that Paul wrote to Rome, the church in Rome, is, is meant to address this exact issue. The the growing gap, the the canyon, the growing schism between Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. And once you're aware of it, you'll realize that even some of the most well-known and popular scriptures, stuff that we've known and memorized since childhood, has a deeper meaning than maybe you've even realized. So in the book of Romans, there's this group of Jews saying, uh, Gentiles can become believers without becoming Jewish. Jewish. You can be a Christian, you don't have to be Jewish first, you don't have to go through that process. You can just be a Gentile Christian. And then there's this group that believed you had to become clean and pure according to the Torah in order to become Jewish or to become a Christian, like you had to follow the Jewish law because only Jews were part of Israel and only Israel could follow Jesus. And so you've probably heard the scripture, we've got the the first slide for us today. Um, you're probably familiar with this. It comes from Romans chapter 3, right? Have, have we read this? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, I learned this at a young age as, a, as part of like a gospel presentation that I was taught to, to memorize. We commonly read this as saying everyone is a sinner, right? That's the summary of this. Everyone's a sinner. And, and that's absolutely Paul's point when he writes this. Everybody has sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But in context, he's saying this to a group of Jews who thought that Gentiles couldn't be Christians. You had to become Jewish first. There was some advantage to being Jewish over being Gentiles. There was some head start, some, some uh, you know, uh, like I said, head start, advantage, privilege to being Jews in the church. And so there's this, think of these two factions fighting in this church in Rome. The Jewish side and the non-Jewish side. And they're arguing over, you know, who's right, who's wrong, who's clean, who's not, who can follow Jesus, who cannot. And in this, Paul writes and says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? You're clean uh, and they're not is the wrong approach, he says. Everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, all have fallen short. They all sin." Right? Chapter 3 of Romans begins with Paul asking the question, what advantage is there to being a Jew? Are you familiar with that scripture? He says, what then is there, is there advantage to being a Jew? That's in the context of this discussion. Right? And then he answers in verse 9 of chapter 3. He says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made that charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike under the power of sin. Right? And they he talk, talks about how the law doesn't make Jews righteous, but it shows them their own sin. So like the law doesn't fix you, it just reveals where you're broken, it doesn't keep you from doing wrong things, it just shows you when you've, it's the path that lets you know when you've deviated off of it, right? So the law doesn't make you better, it just gives you a lens to understand where you're failing, and that's where this verse comes in, because all have sinned and fall short. Gentile and Jew alike have sinned and fell short. And that's in the context, again, of this Jewish group of people saying that they had a head start. They could get closer to Jesus than the Gentiles. In the next chapter of Romans, Paul starts saying kind of what our kids are talking about today. Abraham was justified, made righteous by his faith. Because he lived, if you know the chronology of the Old Testament, Abraham lived before Moses received the Torah. So how could Abraham be righteous without the law? And so Paul brings this argument into the discussion and says, well, Abraham was righteous be- not because of the law, but because of his allegiance to God, his faith in God. Right? So he's, he's, he's critiquing this idea that well, you've got to be Jewish. You've got to follow the distinctive practices in order to get close to Jesus. And Paul goes right to the source. He said, Abraham, our father, the great hero of our faith, never followed the Torah. He never even heard it. And yet you wouldn't say he was unfaithful or he was unclean. right? Justification doesn't come through the law, but through faith in God, says Paul. And Jews throughout history have had faith in God, but now, through Jesus, Gentiles have been shown God and are responding in faith. So Paul says you enter into God's kingdom by faith alone. He's not comparing faith and good works. Sometimes that's the the frame that we imply there. He's not comparing faith and good works, like belief and earning our way in. He's comparing faith against the law. And he says, you don't have to be Jewish and keep Torah to follow Jesus. And that's what Peter's strange vision is in Acts. And we've come full circle. I know there's been a lot of kind of theological stuff. And maybe someday we'll, we'll do a sermon series working through the book of Romans. It's a, it's a big deal. I'd love to do it, but it takes some work to do. But now we've circled back to this strange vision in the book of Acts. In this vision that Peter has about the sheet and the, the animals and killing and eating. In this vision, God is telling Peter to eat the food of the Gentiles. The the animals that he is being told to eat are unclean. People, good, righteous people wouldn't eat this. And yet, the vision teaches that because it's obedience to God, not obedience to the law that makes one clean, You see what Acts is is trying to help us understand here? It's it's obedience to God, not obedience to the law that makes one clean. If God says it's clean, you cannot say it's unclean. And Peter says God has called these believers clean. These men that people were mad that Peter was eating with, these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus who weren't Jewish, God says they're clean. Peter is told to go eat with them. He's told that the Torah should not keep him apart from the fellowship of Christians. Peter says God has called these believers clean because they received the same spirit the Jewish Christians did. Did you catch that when I read through the scriptures? Peter, at the kind of the end of the story, he gets to the point where he says, I see the spirit come down on them. And I remembered the words of Jesus where he says, I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And he remembered his experience with that and then he saw that these Gentiles, these non-Jewish people received that same spirit. So how can you deny that they belong to God too? Because God has given the same spirit to these Gentiles. Verse 18 of Acts chapter 11, the last verse I read said, uh, it tells us what, that when the Jewish Christians heard what Peter was saying, they praised God Celebrating that God had provided a path to life for these Gentiles, right? So, so Peter says, look, the same spirit that came on us has, has arrived and is in them. And the Jewish Christian said, well, that settles it. Let us celebrate. For hundreds or thousands of years, God has only revealed himself to the Jewish people. But here in this moment, God is revealing himself to the Gentiles. A whole new door has opened. And I don't know how all this makes you feel this morning. Maybe it makes you just sleepy because it's a lot of theological stuff. Maybe you're just trying to think through the implications of it. Maybe it excites you because you're a Bible nerd like me. I don't know how it makes you feel, but I hope somewhere in the mix of reactions and responses to this story is a strong sense of gratitude and appreciation. Because unless you were raised as an Orthodox Jew, unless you've kept Torah from the time you were born, unless you are are a practicing orthodox Jew, Peter and Paul's arguments were the open doors of faith that invited us in, that invited you in. We are those Gentiles that some of the early Jewish Christians believed should be separated from the community of believers. There was a, a whole segment in the earliest church that said, We would not be allowed to belong because we weren't Jewish. We are the recipients of the grace that Paul taught about. We are the unclean things, according to the Torah, that God declares as clean. We are the unworthy vessels that the Holy Spirit dwells within. Is that making sense? Do we see ourselves in this story? Can we find ourselves sitting in the church 2,000 years ago as Gentiles, people that have said, I heard the message of Jesus, and I'm following the message of Jesus, and I've received the Spirit, and yet there were some people that said, I don't belong, and yet I'm invited in. We are those unworthy vessels that the Holy Spirit dwells within, and so today I want us to hear this and be grateful to join those earliest Christians And celebrate that outside of faith in God through Christ, no one is clean enough, good enough, or justified on their own. Outside of faith in Christ, faith in God through Christ, no one is good enough. Not a single person in this room is good enough, clean enough, or justified on their own. But through faith in Christ, God makes us clean, worthy to be called daughters and sons of God. But beyond being grateful for our own adoption into God's family, I want to talk about who we are as a church for a moment. The Jews at the beginning of our scripture story were acting like gatekeepers. They wanted to be the ones who determined who was good enough to come in and have a seat at the table. They wanted to define, even in the earliest days of the church, they wanted to define who could be one of us. They wanted to make sure that the boundaries of insiders and outsiders, us and them, were very clearly defined. But I believe that God wants us as First Church to see our job, not as those gatekeepers that keep the wrong people out, but as a church that sits by the door of faith and invites people in, or that catches people on their way out the door and says, don't go yet. Don't give up on faith yet. There's more for you here. As God is at work in the wrong kinds of people, may we be the people who have eyes to see what God is doing. And see that it's through someone's faith in Christ that they are justified, that they are made whole. So even if someone doesn't act exactly the way that we do, even uh, if somebody doesn't say the things the way that we say them, Even if maybe this is their first day in church and they have no idea what we're doing and when to stand up or when to sit down and when to say amen and when not to and when to raise hands and what to do when we talk about offering and all that stuff. they have no idea what it looks like to be a Christian. It's their first day. We're not to shut the door on them or try to exclude them but rather to see that we too are just as unworthy on our own. It's only through Jesus that we are the church. It's only through Jesus that we are who we are. Sometimes it's easy to get caught up, I've served in this thing, I did that, or I know this, I read my Bible, and it's easy to start to get anxious or worried about making sure we've done enough to belong. And this is a message of hope. Nothing you did merited your invitation in. And nothing you do can force you out. It's only through faith in Jesus that you are in the church. And so our gratitude for being invited and included while we are unworthy leads us to become people who invite and include others who are unworthy in their eyes or in our eyes, but who are made worthy through Jesus. Let me put the next slide. Yeah. And this is the truth that I want us to grab a hold of. I've kind of been all over the place today. I don't know if that's um, because I was, spent the last few days with, with a thousand teens screaming and running around or if it's just the way that things work here. But this is the truth I want us to go home with today. Understanding our need for grace the humility, the, the understanding that we were outsiders who were invited in, not because we were good enough, but because God loves us. Understanding our need for grace motivates us to extend grace to others. Amen. Right? Understanding our, the humility, the, the church should never ever get over the idea that all have sinned and fall short. We cannot do anything to clean ourselves up enough to belong It is always grace that allows us to be the church. And so let us understand our need for grace for sure. That's step one, but let it motivate us to extend grace to others who need it as well. May we be the voice of invitation, the voice of inclusion, the voice of encouragement and acceptance for fellow sisters and brothers in Christ. We as Nazarenes believe that the spirit of God is already at work in people's lives, even people that we might think are the wrong people, quote, end quote, the wrong people. The mission of the church is to help people see where God is at work in their lives. And so the invitation for all of us today is to do as the early Jews did after hearing Peter's vision. Right? This crowd that was saying, eh, I don't know about those people. They don't quite act the right way. They don't know the right stuff. They don't believe the right things. They've never been one of us. But when they heard that the Spirit of God was present in their lives as well, these Jews who were resistant suddenly became Christians who were celebrating. Praise God, this is great news. God is at work in their lives as well. So that's the invitation for us today. Praise God for sending the Spirit to work in the lives of those who aren't already part of God's family. The people that we might be tempted to label as outsider, enemy, or even just them, those people out there, God is at work in their lives. May God help us to look at the people in our families, in our communities, who we think would never belong as part of a church. Instead, give us the ability to invite and include them into the family of God. Instead of seeing people who don't belong based upon their own merit, may we realize that we don't belong based on our own merit. And therefore, extend them, share with them the same grace that we have received, the same mercy that has been shared on us. May we understand our need for grace. May we be humble and repentant servants of God. May we understand our need for grace and let that need for grace motivate us to extend it with others.